0: Okay, we're connected. Here comes some beautiful lullaby music with exceptionally poignant poetry. Coming your way right now.
1: Oh, for a voice like thunder and a tongue to drown the throat of war. When the senses are shaken and the soul is of madness. Who can stand? When the souls of the oppressed fight in the troubled air that rages, who can stand? When the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God and the frowns of his countenance drive the nations together, who can stand? When sin claps his broad wings over the battle and sails rejoicing in a flood of death, when souls are torn to everlasting fire and fiends of hell rejoice upon the strain. Oh, who can stand? Oh, who hath caused this? Oh, who can answer at the throne of God? The kings and the nobles of the land have done it. Hear it not, heaven. Thy ministers have done it
0: always gives me chills there we'll tell lorena out with her lovely soprano voice and that really nice little lullaby and say good morning here on the friday edition of the radio ranch roger sells your host and we may have if not we probably soon will have brent winters along with us here who's likes to hang around here on friday uh i think i can get the date right today paul it is the 23rd today uh, I got a little, little ahead of my work yesterday there. So it is Friday the 23rd. It is the Radio Ranch, and uh, we're reaching out on several different platforms,
2: aren't we, Paul? Yes, yes, we are, actually. Um, we're on eurofolkradio.com. Flagship. We're on <clears throat> flagship. Flagship. We're on radio.globalvoiceradio.net. We're also on homenetwork.tv and freedomnation.tv. Yes,
0: and the flagship uh, Eurofolk yeah. is not at the bottom of the uh, Atlantic by the Titanic. So just to let you know, the old flagship's still afloat. Yes, did somebody say hello there? Mm-hmm. Was that a female that said something there? I thought somebody wanted to say something as we get started here this morning. Uh Has uh, Has Brent uh, showed up yet? Brent, you with us yet? Yeah, he, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Okay. I didn't see you I'm on here. the board. Didn't know. Didn't know if you weren't out looking for a hotspot or something.
3: Uh, well, often them. Of course, the hotspots are weaker when you're doing visual with audio. Yes. And we're not doing that here, so it doesn't seem to be as... Touch you. well I want to know it's one of the what? reasons we don't do video here by the way, go ahead good point, and it's helpful that way and words are more important than you know, we're the most idol- most idolatrous people that ever lived in the history of mankind because of the moving pictures of first movies and then television and then now internet and uh, you can't you can't talk about anything substantive on television That's the conclusion of one of the founders of the the BBC, Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm Muggeridge was a Canadian, I believe, by birth, but he was one of the founding members of the BBC. And the mission statement of the BBC, when it's founded, I assume it still is, I don't know, was to, because it was, well, it was a Mm state-run organization. And, uh, of course, Britain is... Uh, officially Christian, this government is a Christian government. You can't tell it, but as a matter, of, as a matter of doctrine and as a matter of organization, it is. Well, so the the mission statement of the BBC was to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> they've they've strayed from their mission statement, there, Brent. <laughs>
1: Well, some people
3: think that,
0: yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's not, it's a government outfit, but
3: the people have to pay for it. Did you know that? Yeah, I was like, you know, I, I didn't know that, but I, I believe it. But that's just the way things work. But Malcolm Muggeridge uh, said later, after the advent of television, of course, it started before that, I think. But I can't remember. There's a lot of radio, you know. Yeah. But uh, he said that he his conclusion was, Malcolm Muggeridge's conclusion was, it is impossible to communicate the gospel over television. And the reason for that is because of uh, the inclusion of images with words. And that's why the Bible utterly forbids idolatry. You can't communicate the gospel using visual aids. In that matter of fact, visual aids distract. From the truth, that's why Romanism is so fraught with so much, so much confusion, and most and Lutheranism and all other, all other forms of Christendom, that major on what the church has called through the centuries visual aids to worship. You know, Lutheran churches use colors, and then they observe all the all the holidays that the Bible doesn't mention, as does Rome, and then the Methodists do the same thing. It, the doctrines of men creep in, traditions of men creep in. You know, God said in the Bible at the very beginning when he brought his people out of the bowels of the furnace of the evil empire, and then he, of course, that's the analogous to the new birth, coming through water, as babies do when they break the bag of waters. they come through the Red Sea and the waters are broken and, and they move through and then they come to the other side and And then, and only then, does God tell them what he wants them to do. You don't tell people what you want them to do before they're born. You tell them what you want them to do after they're born, after they have an understanding of who they are. Well, he did all that, and then he took them later on to a place traditionally called Sinai, which is a mountain. And there, Moses went up on the mountain, and they told the people, don't even touch this mountain. This, This is very very touchy business. Uh, God could kill you if you get too close, but he can't stand imperfection. And the Bible says that throughout, even in the newer Testament, don't he is a consuming fire. So he of course devises this devises. He already agreed. The Godhead had agreed that, that, uh, God would reduce himself to the span of a man so that men would understand. Him. But before that, uh, he said, just don't get close. Well, when that was all over and, and uh, Israel had received the fundamental tenets of the instructions for the behavior, their, their instructions for the behavior did not did not um, endear them to God if they obeyed them. That wasn't the point. The instructions were given to them because they had a new heart. New birth gives you a new heart. You want to do what God wants you to do, and then he gives you instructions. And all of the Bi- books of the Bible are fashioned with that, sequence in order, but uh, God said to them later, he said, when I, when Moses was on the mountain and I was speaking, you did not see any similitude. That's the old King James. A similitude is something that looks similar. It is a likeness uh, of a, of something, a painting or a statue, or even uh, an, uh, a ghost-like image. He said, you didn't see any of that. All you did was heard a voice. You heard a voice, and uh, words became, or are. And I suppose they became. He was making the point that words are not some things; words are all things. And what we see with our eyes is through a medium called sight. It is not really seeing the thing itself, as the as people ended up saying. Talking, uh, they said later when they used Latin, they talked about the beatific vision. But um, it is words. And so the gospel, said Malcolm Muggeridge, cannot be communicated on television. We've tried it. It doesn't work. And obviously you can watch the BBC and you can see it's nothing about. They've left that idea entirely because it's done, it's impossible. But the gospel can be communicated over radio and audio because it's a matter of words. It's not a matter of sight. We walk by by trusting in in the evidence that the words give us, the affidavits, the the testimony of the Bible. The Bible says we walk by trust in that and not by sight. The familiar way to say it is, again, King Jimmy's version, we walk by faith and not by sight, not by what we see, but by what God said. That's reality. What we see is elusive and it's dangerous and it uh, leads us astray. So what do you get on television that's branded Christianity? You get men like, uh, I say, that use the word loosely, uh, Joel Ofstein and uh, all the other charismatic preachers and the television preachers became very popular, uh, Tammy Faye and uh, uh, Jim Baker. And The gospel wasn't there. It still isn't. He's still on television. Why? Because the images, which is idolatry, the images... Pull the mind and the emotions, jerk them around, and overcome images overcome words among mankind. That's why John says at the end of his first epistle, keep yourself clean away from idols. What's an idol? It's a seeable, it's a it's a man's idea of what a lawgiver looks like, and he makes it, he visions he envisions it in his imagination. And God said don't do that. Do not make any images of me. Do not imagine what I look like and then and then fashion a statue or a picture of me. And he says don't do that and and uh, God made us in his image and he forbids us to return the compliment. We're not allowed to do that. And then he says later, do not make images I have a question. Do not make images of any other lawgivers that you think are final deciders of right and wrong. Somebody had a, had yeah, a thing is, on. Yes.
4: I have a question. Isn't that the 501c3? And it's interesting that you introduced a uh, language of Latin. That's attorney speak. But the 501c3 is important because every man or woman on the television is a 501c3 and you cannot serve two masters
0: well virtually every church is one too i mean i know there's some exceptions yeah um that was lyndon b johnson that brought us that Uh, There's a list of about 22 things that if you're a 501c3, you cannot talk about from the pulpit. And one of them is anything against public policy.
3: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Now, the corporations, I know some people that say that corporations are golems. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I I get the point. And, And they do function as a golem. A golem is a is a word from rabbinicism of the middle ages and golems were little kind of like a voodoo doll that the rabbis and other people that followed Judaism would make out of clay and then they would keep them in their attics and places and they would they would order them by demonic prayers to go do their dirty work for them and if they went and did their dirty work then they wouldn't have to dirty their hands it's kind of like it was the same idea when uh, the pharisees demanded crucifixion of jesus christ they didn't want to do it that would have dirtied their hands of course they manipulate circumstances so the romans would do it and same thing is true with the federal government today often they don't want to dirty their hands so they manipulate situations so the state governments will do their dirty work for them and and those those uh, corporations are the same way well i didn't do it i'm just i just work for the corporation Oh, okay. The government said we'll find the corporation, right? We'll find seventy thousand dollars. Well, that of course doesn't find anybody. I remember uh, what was that fellow's name? Romney ran for president. Mm-hmm. He castigated for making the comment that corporations are just people. Well, corporations—what he he didn't mean. I am not for him. I am just making a point. C- clearly, he didn't mean a corporation is a person. What he meant with that statement was, was that corporations are made up of people, and the corporation is just a faceless facade on the outside. But it's the people that are doing these things that you don't like. It's not corporations. Well, yeah. Corporations are fictions; they don't exist. So, you know,
0: you know where the problem is here is what? that the corrupt court system won't let you pierce the corporate veil and go after the board of directors.
3: Well, you know. Roger, that was true for a long time, but that's not true anymore. Uh, the courts have uh, or ignore corporations more than they ever have. And uh, they go after the directors. But it is a doctrine that says they're not supposed to do that. But they do it now if they want to. In other words, if you form a corporation, uh, it's not going to help you that much. I tell people, don't forget it. You're not going to get the protection you think you're going to get with a corporation. You may, you may not. It's not something you can count on. Is what I'm driving at. Now, that's been my experience. It's
4: a, it, go ahead. That? It's a creature of the state. Sure. The state creates the corporation.
3: Of course. Well,
4: the,
3: state, is a, the state claims.
4: And a, a who creates controls.
3: The state claims to create a corporation, but again, it's a fiction. It's not real. It's like the rabbi that says he creates a little golem that does dirty work that's right. just a fantasy idea yeah it's demonic but it's a fantasy idea it doesn't happen i Who mean
0: supposedly run? of a corporation the main idea is limited liability is my understanding is that right and yeah. yeah that's what okay. i understand um i also wanted yeah, to say uh, you know didn't uh didn't the lord speak the world into existence yeah. Well, I think words might have been involved. I'm sure he didn't, you know, mantra it in. He, he used words, you know. Uh, the other point, and you probably didn't see this, after 9-11, um, uh-huh. remember Building 7 falling in, in the BBC yeah. over there? The gal yeah. got on to talk about the building falling, and they had a live shot behind him, and it was still standing. Remember that?
3: Yeah. Yeah, and then it fell down as she was talking, didn't it?
0: Right. Well, I don't remember, but it was still standing while oh, she was yeah. talking. But a guy that uh, paid his BBC fees stopped paying them and refused to pay them because they were lying to him, and that went to court and he won.
3: Well, that's good to hear. No, I remember watching. You'll probably still see it on the video on the YouTube. I don't know, but as they were, the the newscaster was talking right. about <laughs> building seven having fallen. And then he, as he, as the building seven is behind her, is a big skyscraper. And as she's saying that it has fallen, it's standing there. <laughs> but then before she finishes, it starts it to fall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was, that was uh, absolutely proven in a British court.
3: Yeah, so I don't think it well, had
0: any repercussions from it, but I remember the incident.
3: Yeah. Well, uh. I didn't need a court to prove that one for me. That no, you really don't.
0: <laughs> no, but you did if you do if you were withholding your BBC yeah. fees.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you go to court, you have to present the evidence in court and has to be examined, for example, you know, again, we're talking about pictures and images. Pictures and images don't always tell the truth. Matter of fact, and just as much don't as do. They're manipulatable. Then the question comes, was that particular video manipulated and was that not a real shot? Man. That's why well, yeah, you don't you don't know. I guess I have to say, uh, well, uh, especially not be true.
0: Especially yeah. these days, where they can literally clone somebody and put these speech programs in them, and they're not even human. And the there was a one clip I saw of Hillary Clinton where she was talking, and it, da, 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 she went into these stutters, and the commentator said that's a known flaw in the program that does speech.
3: Oh, I see. Yeah. So the whole idea of the movie industry and the television industry is to create fiction. If it wasn't for that, yes. there wouldn't be any for it. I mean, every sitcom television show from uh, George Burns's uh, show that he used to have back in the fifties, clear up to now, was an attempt to create a fictional reality, and people believe those fictions. Don't tell me they don't. Boy, they, they do, buddy. George Burns. Really did live in a little neighborhood like that, and they believe that Jackie Gleason and uh, really did, really was a bus driver, and then the women and the men that watch the soap operas really believe that these families exist, and the evidence of that is pretty overwhelming too. So they do create fiction, and they create uh, reality. Perception yep. of reality and people believe it. Yep. Movies, news, newscasts. Now we know for sure. Did you ever see that movie Roger called Wag the Dog? I did, a long time ago. Yeah, that was a whole. It was about how the uh, industry of media creates uh, fictions of wars and and famine and all that, and uh, that you can do that with pictures. You cannot do that as well. With words, oh, I suppose you can do it. One of the great examples of creating false uh, fiction—a uh, fiction with words—was uh, the, War, War, of the World. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. Yeah, War of the World. And people believed that, and some jumped off a of building yes, and killed themselves, thinking the Martians had invaded. Yes, they did, and that was radio only. That was radio only. So there is a danger there, but God says that we are to. Um, We are to listen to words and live by the evidence of words. And the greatest, most powerful evidence of words and the most substantial evidence of words is the Bible. There is nothing that even comes close. You know, I was just thinking the other day, Roger, when the Bible was first put into English, translated into English, it was translated the New Testament. Let's talk about the New Testament for just a second, which is important, obviously. And when it was translated into English for the first time, or into German, let's say German. When it's translated into German and then later into English for the first time, from the original Greek tongue in which the New Testament was originally penned, uh, uh, there were about a half a dozen manuscripts that Martin Luther used. About a half a dozen, and they were uh, they were relatively relatively recent, not more than at that time, probably going back to about a thousand A.D. And uh, that was about a half a dozen manuscripts. And now we have in the Greek tongue manuscripts going much further back, clear back to the, arguably the first century, about 100 AD, some manuscripts, almost 6,000. And all of them agree. No doctrine of, of the Bible uh, is changed by any manuscript in the original tongues of the New Testament. That's quite a statement, and there's not. It any. is. That there is not any ancient writing that even comes remotely close to that. I mean, some of the the writings of the of the Roman historians, uh, Tacitus and those fellows, uh, anywhere from half a dozen to twenty copies max. Max twenty would be max that are available in the tongues in which they were written, and those copies of uh, manuscripts are woefully divergent and disagree the same thing is true with uh, all ancient writings going back to the time of the romans and the empire but the new testament manuscripts are evidence friends i'm talking about evidence in words these are affidavits and and uh, history law rather an affidavit of what happened and if you read law roger you know what's happening and if you read um reliable history History teaches law and law teaches history. When the when the law, some law and take for example the the 10 commandments says thou shalt not steal. What do you know was going what do you know was going on? They were stealing. When it says thou shalt not commit adultery, what do you know was going on as a matter of history? They were committing adultery. The law always teaches history in a very precise way. So we have law and testimony, as Isaiah puts it, and that's what the Bible is. That's the evidence that we are to live by, period. That and no other, that and no more. No traditions of any men and uh, that are viable and reliable to live your life by and stake your destiny on. The Bible says stake your destiny on what the affidavits and the law of this book say and uh, pictures uh di- dilute, divert because of the human condition, divert all that. We like pretty things, and we like to look at things. And that becomes reality, just like television. And uh, the Bible then fades from consideration when there's idolatry. You know, of all the things and that it, people say, what makes America uh, so prosperous? And we have been the greatest engine of wealth and prosperity the wor- world has ever known. One of the great things that have made us prosperous is that we don't we have not been overwhelmed with idolatry. And the reason we haven't been overwhelmed with idolatry is because our religious institutions, are, which is Christianity in America, at its core has not been overwhelmed with idolatry. Of course, the infusion into that was the uh, Romanist migrations and, the, of course, Judaism and other, other religious groups that have arisen among us, such as the Mormons, are heavily... Uh, fraught with idolatry. But idolatry ruins creativity. It utterly ruins it. It squelches it. Uh, creativity is what is unique to the man, unique to the individual. And if I can have a picture or an idol, to sub- it will substitute in my own mind, that image will, will bear up in my own mind and overcome my own creativity of what I can imagine and what I can make with my own hands. When I was a kid, Roger, I, a little boy, we used to go everywhere. That morning. is fair. We live. Uh,
4: may I just say, Brent? Yeah. Wait, well, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait, wait, oh,
0: oh, wait. oh, oh wait. just talk, We'll recognize
3: you. Sure,
4: sure we'll, enough. We'll
3: sure enough. You. Okay, what? Um, who, who's speaking, and then you can go ahead and talk.
4: It's Sherry from Arkansas. Unjust weights to measures. That's what we're dealing with, and that's what caused Kehushua to turn the tables over in his father's house.
0: Okay, we agree with that.
4: Uh, Absolutely. And so that's what we're dealing with, the unjust weights and measures. And... um it's
0: hearkened over to the judicial system as well. Okay. I don't think you're going to get any argument. I remember, um, is it Edward Gibbons, um, Brent, who wrote Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire? Quite a scholastic undertaking there. Probably the definitive book on that period of time. And his statement in that book was... The first engine of tyranny is a corrupt judiciary. You remember that, Brent? Did we lose Brent? Have we lost me? Does anybody hear me? No,
3: no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm okay. here. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, well, in one sixty, about one sixty 160, one sixty five BC, the Roman Empire, or the the ones that control it, the Senate, as they call them. Uh, they moved to outlaw all public displays of idolatry. Now, these are pagan people. Uh, Christianity had nothing to do with their lives. They worshipped many gods. But they saw the excesses of public display of idols, and they outlawed them. And the reason they outlawed them, they said, was because of the excesses. That went, that always attended the public display of idols. Well, what excesses were they talking about? They were talking about free sex and opiates and drunkenness. And it got so out of hand, they said no more. You want to do this, take it back to your houses and do it there, but you can't do it in public. Right. That's what idolatry does to people. But I want to tell you this little story about uh, something I think about when I think about idolatry. When I was a little kid, uh, my grandparents lived up the creek two miles from us and where dad grew up on the old Winters Douglas place. And, uh, we'd go there pretty often cause it was close and dad kept his horses there. And then cause he worked in the oil field in a tool house, just uh, up the road, about a half a mile down the creek bottom it was a dead end road. So we went over there a lot and every evening we'd go over there and, and dad would uh, take his horses. He teamed in the oil field and he'd take them back from the tool house to, the barn, feed them. And they were horses that he had had when I was little. This happened because they were horses. He and his, his father, my granddad got when, when dad was about 14. Wow. So we had trained them and they were still young horses then. And so we'd come back around. We were always at grandma's house. Grandma and got just up the bottom there. And, uh, seemed like, and, uh, uh, when I was there, grandma would, uh, let me my brother and I we'd play with all the things that dad played with because she had them all there and uh, he had all sorts of stuff and he grew up in a time of course when people didn't have money back in the 20s and 30s especially in the 30s after 29 sure and dad said well you know I he didn't have it hard they always had plenty to eat because they were on a farm but he said that I didn't know what money was so nothing was no toys I didn't have any toys bought for me and he had all these toys that he had made as a little boy and he had carved them out of wood a lot of them and uh my brother and I played with I wonder what happened to those I wish I still had them but I don't know where they went but thinking back on all that and thinking back on my grandmother's point of view and my the, the world he lived in was a world of no idolatry um uh, Where they went to church, uh, which was up out of the bottom and another mile down the road, there the walls were bare. And that church is still there, and the walls are still bare. And the ceilings are bare. There's no pictures, no idols. And when you flood your mind with those kind of things, it does stifle your creativity. Because what you end up doing by nature, you substitute that you can't get those images out of your mind. Mm -hmm. And you substitute those for your own. And that's, what God, that's one of the great reasons why God forbids idolatry. Back to you, Roger.
0: Hi, you know, Brent, I've never been around much Catholic stuff um, occasionally as I've, you know, gone through my life, but not often. Uh, and when I got down here... in in Quito, and I think I've told you in the audience about the this is the most magnificent architectural tour in South America is in Quito. And the reason for it, and gone over it before, but when the original Indians were here they had their 12 sacred spots. When the Incas came and conquered them, they took over the 12 sacred spots. And when the Conquistadors came in here and conquered the Incas, they took over the 12 sacred spots and they built 12 Catholic churches on them. Uh, And you can go up there today. There's a whole tour of them. One of them is, I mean, it's a huge city block, and they're still working on it after over 200 years, you know. Uh, well, and, that's
3: the nature of cathedrals, and they are magnificent things, but they are idolatry. Well, if you Oh, the sacred spots are idolatry, too. Go ahead. Right.
0: Well, I'm just saying you take this bus tour, and it's a, one of those buses like in London where you on top it's open, you know, and you get off. I think there's 12 stops, and you can get off at two stops, and then the next bus will pick you up, and you can go look at them. And uh, uh, walking in one of them, I still have the the image in my mind indelibly of all of the the gold and the Jesus on the cross and every panel that there's a blank. There's one of those one of those uh, idols, if you will, uh, there, and it left an indelible impression on me. There's one down there you got to pay to get into that's yeah. solid gold inside and you can't take
3: a picture. Well, that's the way uh the powers that be and total governments control peoples with images. And television and movie movies jerk people around and control their image there's emotions in our courts our common law courts it's still the law that uh there are images that are not allowed in cases to try to prove things because images eclipse in the mind when you see them they eclipse the fact well, and right. they eclipse reason they mm-hmm. eclipse logic they jerk the emotions around mm-hmm. and uh and, and that's the and whole, that.
0: you know, that's, I've come to understand, Brent, that's almost the whole basis of their game is switching everything to emotions from logic and manipulating yep. your emotions because emotions are manipulatable. Logic isn't. Two and two is okay. going to always equal four. Okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's right. If you take a picture of a bloody murder scene and put it in front of a jury, uh, and they're going to look at the defendant, And they're going to want to convict him. Yeah. And there may not be any connection between the two. That's why things like that, the laws of evidence say, no, you can't do that. I had a, I was in a case one time where, well, I was talking to the prosecutor about my client's case. And I went in to try to say, this is stupid. A cop arrested a guy and busted his door down without a warrant and all that. And, um, that's of course against the law, but he, we were, uh, he, we were friendly to each other. I knew his family from down in Effingham County and, he was a young fella just out of school and he was trying to make a name for himself. And he was saying, he was prosecuting this, this, uh, fella for, for rape. And he, and he said, I got this picture of him here and I want to try to get this before the jury. I said, how come? He said, well, look at the picture. And he threw it out on the desk there in the, in his office, boy, it made him look like a real scumbag, you know? And he said, I I can't get it in because it's not evidence. So I have to find another way to get it in before the juries, because once they see it, it's going to help me. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know." Well, that's the kind of evil ambition that—that's evil ambition. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. I want that. prosecutor should restrain himself from such evil, but they don't. I want that scalp. I want that scalp on my belt. Yeah, they're—they're—that's right. They're notching their guns. Of course, that brings up another point. Uh, There's no place in. Our tradition of common law government that allows for allows for uh, paid prosecutors, professional prosecutors, and that's something we've had in America for a long time. Let me ask
0: thinking, you, let me ask you, quite. Doesn't it say in the Constitution that we don't shouldn't have a don't have a standing army?
3: Well, you can have one for two years, but other than that, it's supposed to be disbanded. I think's the way it is. But, uh, yeah, no, we're, that's against the law. Ultimately, to have a perpetual standing army is unconstitutional. That's right. That's right. But here we are. If we see, but if we would stress the four militia clauses of our constitution, then the standing army wouldn't be necessary. A standing army, one, one of our, uh, early, uh, I call them forefathers, or forebears. Uh, at the time the Constitution was being put together, and at the time that that particular provision was being kicked around and debated, he said a, a standing army is like a standing male member. It's very potent, but it tempts a man to foreign excursions. <laughs> and he said that, and he said that in the Constitutional Convention. He was trying. <laughs> get the dodo's there to understand. Come on, fellas. This is temptation. You put a standing army in the hands of a single mere mortal and you got problems. They're going to be running all over the world killing people and acting like they're some kind of a thug. And that's what they do.
0: And that's what we've been doing since 1916.
3: Yeah, and by the way, if you were President of the United States, they put that kind of power in your hands, you'd probably do the same thing. Don't think you wouldn't. That's how weak mankind is. And that was his point. How weak mankind is. How (laughs) men to analogize it to the sex drive of a man. That's what he did. It's so overpowering that it's almost, almost impossible to contain. That's the truth. And anybody that's lived man or woman ought to figure that out. That's why, of course we have Seventh day Adventists. They, uh, their leader what was her name uh, Ellen White she hated the sexual drive of men of course powerful she couldn't stand it couldn't stand it in her husband so she said well we've got to do something to stop this uh, what do we do oh it's he's eating too rich of food so she started this whole program for Christian people men and women to feed them to quit feeding them rich food and meat so they wouldn't have this awful sex drive that offended her well uh that sex drive is powerful. Analogize that to standing armies, and uh, think it through, boys and girls. That's what he w- he was well, saying to them. I mean, and didn't didn't he tell us to go forth them and multiply? Well, yeah, he, re- he didn't. He didn't really tell us to. He just said, "This is what's going to happen," and then he puts the drive in us, and it happens. And it sure, has, it, it, t- here's what's really weird about all of that. To talk about the power of the evil empire. The evil empire is doing everything, has for centuries, and now doing everything it can to stop that production. Yeah. So what do they use? Well, they say, let's uh, castrate the men, let's put the little boys on a riddling, let's cut the breast off of women and tell them they all have a danger of having breast cancer. That's a rage like tonsillitis. It doesn't exist. Don't tell me it does. They're making a lot of money cutting the breast off women and pushing the idea that breast cancer... Did you know, Roger, I saw a map not many years ago, and it was the incidence of breast cancer among women uh, on a map showing where the greatest incidence of breast cancer are. You know where they were? This is odd. Not odd? Well, it explains some things to me. There were no incidences of breast cancer hardly at all in the rural areas, all in the metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because that's where the doctors are. And just like when I was a boy growing up, everybody was getting their tonsils out. Right. Was was there even King Charles, who now sits on the throne of England, got his tonsils out? Uh, um, That was back in the 50s when he was a little boy. And, of course, that made it even the bigger rage. And, boy, the doctors doctors were cleaning up. Yep. And you're removing tonsils from people. Listen, you don't do... (laughs) appendicitis is, is real but that doesn't mean you just have your appendix removed so you don't get appendicitis your appendix has, a, has an important function as do your tonsils well anyway but they're made a lot of money but the point I'm driving at is they do the same thing claiming that we've got to stop production we got to stop babies let's, kill, let's abort them let's cut the testicles of men off from producing sperm let's cut the breast off of women Let's uh, put little boys on Ritalin. Let's do all we can to destroy marriage through visual aids like pornography. It's amazing, Roger. Here's another point. (laughs) Do you know the more that pornography arises in 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 a society? This is statistically clear as crystal. The more pornography there is in a society, the less children are born. The more pornography, the less children are born. And the more women are are leave their fundamental roles as mothers and wives, the more pedophilia and more an abuse of women there is. These are incontrovertible statistics. That's the way it works. So if you're promoting those, I am loving
2: brother Brent here, man. What's that?
3: Brent, is this you? I am loving brother Brent.
0: Okay, good, Brandon. Sit back and listen. Go ahead, Brent.
3: That's weird. That guy's. He's as weird as I am, man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Brand weird. is weird. <laughs> Brand,
2: I just, Can I just say something real quick? Just because I don't have a lot of time, I just wanted to bounce in because I was listening, and uh, you know, uh, Brother Brent here, you have an amazing voice, dude. Like you would do so good at like children's stories. Your voice is just awesome for that. And Roger, your your voice as a radio host is like perfect. It's you know you know what I mean, but uh, anyhow, I just wanted to invite you guys. I posted a video yesterday. Uh, are you guys by any chance Clint Eastwood fans?
3: Oh, I I can't help but like him just because uh, he was so well known when I was growing up. But go ahead with your he's story. a he's a man he's a manly man. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the, I, I always loved Clint Eastwood movies, and one of my favorites was the Any Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can with sure. the with the you know right turn, Clyde. Yep. So,
4: but you know that guy that was the head of the biker gang.
3: Oh yeah, I'm
4: a. Oh, that's funny, Brendan. Uh, speaking about uh, pictures. Um, I oh, want to go back to what Whoa, 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 oh, oh, whoa, oh, Sherry, Sherry, hold on, Sherry, Sherry, Sherry,
0: hold on. Brandon's not finished yet. Please, okay. We'll recognize you. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. yeah.
2: But I posted a video yesterday that the guy that was the head of the biker gang, I had no idea that he was a true, blue, Bible-believing Christian. And he gives the greatest speech on this whole subject I I think any of us are going to ever hear. It's on Jesus and Tim in Las Vegas on YouTube. Yep. And, man, I mean, I, it just blew me away, man. It's, it is it, it is great because you know, no, he was apparently hip to everything you're doing.
3: That fella used to drive uh, from L.A. Clear, to go to church, clear out uh, uh, the valley up in the Central Valley of California. And he went to a church there at a place called uh, Three Forks, I believe it was. it was, up in the Sierra Nevadas. And the pastor of that church, he started going to church there. The pastor of that church eventually moved to nor- northern Idaho. But he recently retired. I had the pleasure of knowing him him and his father his father passed away but i know what you're talking about no he's-
2: john Quaid?
3: Pardon? i've met him before
0: you're
2: talking about john quade
0: john quade yeah, john- I-, right. I-, I have met him before when i was in atlanta he- him john? and his him and his guys came all the way to the east coast it was back when they first started the uh, interrogation of people flying and they wouldn't fly so they took the train all the way from la to north of atlanta to give this seminar and that was the seminar and we've mentioned it here before one of the things those guys were seasoned on brent was that because the 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 government owns your mailbox, the inside of it, that when you put a mailbox on your property it extends jurisdiction. <laughs> That's one of the things they were teaching. But it was that guy Randy Quaid. Nice guy. Nice guy but he's the one that worked with the orangutan oh, in the movie. Yeah. In the movie you're talking about. He's
2: the one that was always had the, the biker gang and was always like, Lord, yeah. why did you send me idiots? Right. You know yeah. what I mean? He's right. hilarious. Right, uh. This this speech that he gives though is just phenomenal. You guys will absolutely love it. It will get everybody all fired up. I guarantee. Okay, I, okay. it's awesome.
0: Okay, good. I'm Jesus glad you drew him in Las well, Vegas
2: on YouTube. And-
0: Brandon, I'm glad you dropped in and get to hear and get to sample some of Brent today. Brent and I have been doing shows for 10 years or more now on Fridays. So there's a wealth of information there in the archives. So glad you checked in. Sherry, what did you have to add? Sherry.
4: I'm just curious. Brandon dropped in with videos. Can you hear me? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes, we hear you.
4: So Brandon jumped in with videos, and Brent is speaking about how that ruins your psyche.
0: Well, this is a different type of video. He's talking about with a message, but whatever. So, uh, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Sherry. Brent, go on ahead, please. Well,
3: you no, know, I acknowledge what Sherry's saying. Yes, he's you. not. He's thinking straight. She is thinking straight, and I appreciate her making that comment. And, of course, uh, Quade was a movie star, which is idolatry. That's true, too. But uh, he was a Christian man for all of his faults, whatever they were, like the rest of us. But what we strive toward here, I told a Lutheran fellow one time on that subject. Um, I was talking to him about idolatry, a close friend, and biblical, Bible-believing, and uh, intelligent, and studies his Bible and knows it well, and And we came to this subject, as we sometimes do, about idolatry. And uh, the Lutherans, like the Romanists, uh, eliminate the second commandment and divide the tenth commandment into two parts so they'll still have ten commandments. They just cut out the commandment that says, Thou shalt not have any graven image, thou shalt not make any graven images of me. And uh, we got to talking about it. And uh, he said, Well, Brent, if that's true, that we can't have any images of anything, he said, you couldn't even have pictures of your wife in your wallet. I said, yeah, I get it. He said, that's that's absurd. I said, no, the Bible's not absurd. We're absurd that we get caught up in those kind of things. It's really true. I don't deny that. And uh, how far do you want to push that? Now, uh, there's a long time ago, uh, I listened to a, a presentation when I was a young man on the Ten Commandments. I believe the presenter was... Uh, well there were two of them. Donald Gray Barnhouse and the other one was D James Kennedy. Well both of them are gone now. Barnhouse died a long time ago. Kennedy had died not too many years ago. They were Kennedy was a product of Donald Gray Barnhouse. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the first of the of the of the Bible teachers of any note on the radio before television. Oh really? The Barnhouse. Yeah, Donald Gray Barnhouse was pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, uh, he traveled by train back in the, uh, 30s, 40s, 50s and 50s. He traveled by train around the country every week and did Bible studies for men in different cities. And, uh, uh, the trains, of course, could get you there pretty quick and you could quick and you could, he could study and sleep. And then, of course, he pastored the church in Philadelphia. And, uh, he was the master of the illustration and the analogy like no Bible teacher I ever listened to. He had his own personality and way of going about it. But one time he was on the radio when D. James Kennedy was pretty pretty young, and he said, uh, he heard him say, uh, uh, if you died right now, and you were standing at the door at the gates of God's heaven, and, he sh- and uh, Jesus Christ were there, this whole thing about Peter being there is a Roman myth. Peter's not at the gates of heaven. That's that's uh, that's a myth that uh, Rome has perpetuated. But at any rate, Jesus Christ was there. He said, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? Now, Barnhouse posed that question. If you died right now and found yourself at the gates of heaven, and Jesus Christ said, why should I let you in, what would you say? And that struck Kennedy, according to Kennedy's testimony it struck him hard and he got real upset about it and he got a little bit unnerved about the question what would i say and of course the answer is if you say anything if if it's a hypothetical but if you said anything like well i've done my best well he ain't gonna let you in on that one the bible's clear on that point well i tried to help widows and and i i think i've I've done things that have earned my favor with you. Well, you're not going to get in on that either. The only answer that's going to to pass muster at that point in reality is uh, I rest upon your righteousness, period, not my own. I have nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Other refuge have I none. That's it. And if you say anything else. Well, that's what he said to Kennedy. Well, Kennedy, then, uh, he uh, he recognized the efficacy of what Jesus Christ has done. It's never-ending, and it's without measure. There's nothing we can add to it. Nothing. It's perfect, perfected. And he recognized that, and he then uh, became a Bible teacher. But he delivered a series, as did Barnhouse, on the Ten Commandments. And when you get to the Second Commandment, and you break it down biblically biblically, and how it plays out throughout the rest of the law and testimony of God, what you get is this. There are some images that the Bible permits, and there are some images that it utterly forbids. Hmm. And to know those... Distinctions is important to understand God's law and what will bring the most enjoyment out of your Christian life. You know, all of us Christian folk, we are lawless. We don't know how to apply God's law in every situation. We struggle and we mess up. But Jesus Christ said, I have come to bring eternal life. Life, that, that's your destiny. That's where you're ultimately going to wind up. He said, I've come to give, to bring, to make available to my people life. He did that. But then he said, and life more abundant. Well, what is life more abundant? As you learn to follow his law, life becomes more enjoyable. As, you dis- as he disciplines you and you discipline yourself, and that's hard in the face of temptation because of the way he has made us and we're spun out of control. But as we learn what the commandments of God are, the commandments of God are for us, his people. To give us to, to let us experience that life more abundant. That's our that's our obligation. It's not our debt. We don't owe God any debt for what He has given us. But we are obliged. We are obliged to do it. Not because we've contracted with Him, not because we've made an agreement with Him. Because He said to us, Here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And every one of us, every one of us is a part of that multiplication. It happened. It's happening. It's going to continue to happen. And he, his covenant is not a debt. It is an obligation. Then we have an obligation. We're not going to do away with our destiny. That's not possible. He has fixed our destiny as his people. The Bible, we're going through that, Roger, on Saturdays, the Book of Romans, on Patriot Soapbox. And I want you to join us, if you're listening, and you can, on Patriot Soapbox. On Saturdays, go to commonlawyer.com, commonlawyer.com, as we go through, the, how God has fixed the destiny of his people. And then, of course, with that, after that, after your destiny is fixed, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Then how can you have a more enjoyable life? You want, at this point, to please your Father who is in heaven. That means you do what he tells you to do. First, got to find out what it is he wants you to do. that That's his law. His law is his will. I have a question. Hang on just a minute. Hold on. Way, that's the way uh, the Christian life. That's the way the Christian life best works. Uh, go ahead, Sherry. Uh,
4: my question is: um, He says, "Keep my commandments," and he says, "Keep my feasts." What do you? What is your thinking about the feasts?
3: Keep my spell that I can't understand. You keep my what?
4: Peace. P- F-E-A-S-T-S Oh feast. Feasts. There's
3: three. Roger, can you understand what Feast, you're saying? I'm Feast, not- Feast, like Tabernacles.
4: Oh, feast, oh,
3: feast. yeah. F <laughs> as in Fox. Uh, the feasts of the Older Testament have become part of the Hebrews Roots movement in the Western world. And the there, it comes under other labels, but one of the labels is the Hebrew Roots Movement. Now, when it comes to the Old Testament and the feasts and the ceremonies of the and the trappings of the Levitical priesthood, the book of Hebrews does a good job of laying out what is to be observed and what is not to be observed. But here's the way it works fundamentally if you boil it all down. All of those things in the Older Testament, such as the ceremonies and the feasts, which are ceremonial also in their own way, object lessons, all of those um, are designed to teach us to look forward to the coming of the Messiah, to teach us to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. Those ceremonies and feasts that are not intended to teach to to look forward to the coming of the Messiah are intended to teach us to look back, to remember something God has done. So there are two things in the ceremonial law, as they call it, of God. Those things intended to teach us to look forward to something and those things that are intended to teach us to look back at something that happened and not forget, case in point the Passover supper the Passover supper is as ancient as the extraction God's extraction of the nation Israel from the law of the city empire of Egypt and he said to them do this remember what I did for you in Egypt and for all generations after that the Israelites and other people who were not Israelites that that took on the trust of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob practiced and continued to practice through the centuries the Passover supper. We get to the gospel records and Jesus Christ said they were practicing the Passover supper. Why? To look forward? No. To remember. To remember what happened in the past. And they're at the Passover supper and Jesus Christ is observing it with those twelve panel jurors. And he says, as oft as you do this, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, looking back, you see. But in that point of the Lord's Supper, not only did he continue the the command to look back to Egypt and what happened there and understand that, he also said, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine by the way, it's not the blood of Christ, you see. He even calls it there, the fruit of the vine. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I do so in my kingdom. So he adds something to it that is not contradiction to anything in the Old Testament. It's just more of an understanding. He says, this is now, ten- I want you to understand the Lord's Supper, which is the Passover Supper as something we also use to look forward to something. And so now it's got both elements. But the important point here in this is it's intended to look back and now intended also to look forward to something that yet to be fulfilled, the the feast of the Lamb in the kingdom. That's looking back, so we still do that. And we've always done it, and we call it now the Lord's Supper. And it's to be done, according to the Bible, once a year it's not to be done every week or every quarter why because the Bible established the Lord's Supper once a year why the high church people and the Protestants who admire very much that are so biblical they take that phrase as oft as you do this to, to mean you can do it anytime you want well or not do it at all well, <laughs> But they don't say that. Why don't we just do what the Bible says once a year and do it? And to do it more often, of course, I've watched it becomes trite. But that's it, that's looking it, back. Now, Roger. It, it, I will it,
0: to do it, to do it I have a regular, Hold on, Sherry. Just, to do it. Hold on, Sherry. Yeah. We're there. To do it on on any more than an annual basis dilutes the meaning to me.
3: Well, and that stands to reason. Well, God said do it once a year. That just it's, that's a safe harbor. If you want to do what God says, just relax and say, "Well, what what does He say here? He says do it once a year, the Passover supper." Now, before I go on, Listen. Sherry wants to ask a question. Yes. I think.
0: Yes, she does. Don't you, Sherry? Sherry. Sherry. I don't Let think me go she's with
3: me us, us anymore. She may come back. She may come back. But, uh, if she doesn't, uh, we'll just keep going. But So that's looking back. So the, all the ceremonial okay. law. Uh, right, so look
4: looking back, that's my question, Brent. I'm sorry. I, I got disconnected. So I'm back now. Uh, looking back, how did that fare for Watt's wife? <laughs>
3: What 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 are you saying? How did that fare for lots wife? Lot.
0: I think you I think he's asking your question well, oh, she Sherry, wasn't, She
3: was not That wasn't, she a, wasn't.
4: Okay, she well, well I, I got disconnected so I might not have heard what he had said.
3: Uh, lots wife but
4: remembrance of me is important for us
5: to
3: yeah, that's important. Know, of course, lost wife sure. was looking back at something God commanded her not to look back at. That's that's easy enough. But let me get on with it. Uh, then, So there's things we look back in remembrance, and there are things we that the Old Testament ceremonies and feasts look forward to. Now, if there's something that the Old Testament feasts um, commanded to look forward to that have been fulfilled, there's no reason to look forward to them any, anymore. They're now we're looking back at them. For instance, uh, the ceremonial sacrifices that were allowed to be done, and by the way, the personal sacrifices were all voluntary; they were never commanded. And a close reading of the Old Hebrew Old Testament reveals that clear as crystal: it's voluntary. the The sacrifices were not mandatory, but all of those sacrifices that were done look forward to the slaughter of the very of, of God Himself. And the shedding, as the book of Acts says, of the blood of God. That's what they look forward to, to teach people. This is the brutality and the severity of what God has to do to pay for your sin. Your sin is severe and it's brutal. And to pay for it requires an act of sacrifice that is commensurate with the level of crime that God's people have committed that was to teach them that well now that that ultimate that real i should say the real those were all just pictures they did nothing the blood of bulls and goats cannot says the book of hebrews and the old testament too cannot remove sin cannot remove the guilt of it and it cannot remove the consequences it never did it was a picture it was an object lesson it was a symbol to try to get people to see Visually, with her own eyes, the brutality of the, of the necessity, of the brutality that would have to occur to pay for our sins to buy us back from the devil himself, as it were. So that looked forward. Well, once that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate payment was made, there's nothing to look forward to anymore. It's done. So all the Levitical priesthood is of no consequence. The temple in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where all those sacrifices were made, is of no consequence. The temple of God now is your body as a, as a member of God's people. The Spirit of God, the great promise of to Abraham uh, th- repeated uh, three times, chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, is the promise that Luke records at the end of the Gospel of Luke. And then that promise in the very next chapter of one continuum of Luke's writings, Acts chapter 1, what is that promise? There are 120 of them. They were waiting in the upper room for that promise that was promised to Abraham. What was it? And then repeated in in the Gospel of Luke, it was the promise of God coming to dwell inside of your body. That's what the promise was. And the spirit, the gumption breath, the person of God, he does not come in parts. He comes in person. He comes once to a man, a woman. He doesn't come twice. There is no double filling of the Spirit. That is, that's a, not a biblical doctrine. He comes and he dwells in his people. And once he's in there, once he's in there, he's not leaving. And you can't drive him out. You can crowd him. Do not grieve the Spirit, the Bible says. Don't upset him by crowding him in there. But he's in your body. Stop to consider when you are contemplating sin. He's right there in your body. And you're going to use your body to do something he doesn't approve of? That's, that's a heavy concept, my friends. And that's what the Bible stresses throughout and teaches. The promise that God gave to Abraham, the Syrian, he was an Assyrian man, gave to Abraham of the coming of the Spirit in that way. Oh, the Spirit came. He was there before but not in that way. Well, all those things were we'll looked forward to. And now that they're done, uh we don't need to look forward to them anymore. Therefore the book of Hebrews points that out and says, uh don't you remember uh, the the veil in front of the holy of holies, the 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 unmatchably holy place uh, was rent, ripped, big thick thing, ripped from top to bottom at the death of Jesus Christ. That's the record of the testimony of the gospel records opening access to all, to God himself in the form of a man, of course, and the spirit of God coming to dwell in, among us and in us. And uh, don't forget, call it the spiritual four by four. Greater is he, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world about you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world about you. That's fact, and it's a powerful fact, and it's a devastating fact to our enemies. Never forget it. Well, that's the, it's all, it all falls together perfectly. So those things in the Old Testament that are designed to get us to remember, such as the Lord's Supper, to look back at something, and that's why people say that the feast, for instance, the feast of the tabernacles, which is better called the feast of booths, because the Israelites, they, God said to them, "I want you to remember that you had to live in in uh, we call them I would call them in American lingo wigwams." That Hebrew word is best translated. That's the way I translated it in the Old Testament. Wigwam. That's an Americanism that came from the came from the Indian tribes that lived here. They lived in wigwams. That's what they called them, and that's what those booths were. They were nomads in the wilderness. They built. Uh, The old English word is booths, but it means wigwam. Just a little hovel you make out of sticks and and straw, So you can have a little shelter from the sun while you're wandering in the wilderness. And to remember that, uh, the Feast of Booths is something that people look back. So the argument for the Feast of Booths is, well, that's not something that looks forward. We're in the wilderness now. We're looking back to what God did with the Israelites. So they observe the Feast of Booths. Now there are other things about that that mitigate it against that point of view, but I certainly don't quarrel with people that do that because it's arguably something that looks back instead of something to look forward to something that's already for fulfilled. fulfill. Go ahead, Roger. Brent, did you say booze, B-O-O-Z-E. B. Yeah, I'm say that's more of yeah. It's hard to get it across. B as in Bravo. O-O as in Oscar. T as in tango, H as in hotel. Oh, booths, booths. Um, and that's yeah. an old English word that means hovel, or we'd say an American wigwam.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Or a cabinet almost, a, bo- a booth. You know, you go into a voting booth. Um, yeah. Uh, when I was uh, in the States and we uh, had uh, Pastor James Bruggeman uh, as our pastor, little traveling pastor. Um, mm-hmm. journeyman pastor, if you will, uh, he always recognized, especially tabernacles. And we had a big tabernacle celebration every year in the fall. Uh huh. Still does, I guess.
1: Uh huh.
3: Well, that now you're talking about what the feast of, of booths is also called the feast of tabernacles using those old words. That's why I like to eliminate that confusion. Because the tabernacle often refers to the old tabernacle in Jerusalem, right? Then just call up the Feast of Wigwams. <laughs> of that Boy, you'll get some blank stares of that one. <laughs> well, that, that's the way I translate in the Bible for that reason. Because anything else you use confuses. It's not oh. the way we the words we use anymore. <laughs> They're nothing but wigwams. Have you ever seen a wigwam? I know oh, the people. Oh, no, absolutely. People. Yeah, and, and the Apaches lived in. They didn't call them that. They had a different tongue. But the people lived around the Wabash Valley where I come from. They lived in wigwams, and they, when they removed all the tribes west of the Mississippi, that was the Cherokee Trail of Tears. But the Cherokee was just one part of, small part of it. All the tribes got removed, and one of them uh, was the ones that lived around home called the Kickapoo. Kickapoo, and I had a lady say the other day. Um, well, what, what's he saying? Kick a what? Well, Kickapoo, K-I-C-K-A-P-O-O. That's the name of the tribe. Well, they got transferred uh, to a, a reservation in uh, East Northeast Kansas, and their the reservation's still there. But a lot of them got mad and transferred. Some of them got transferred originally to Oklahoma, and the Kickapoo Nation in Oklahoma is still there and yeah. the Kickapoo land. But a lot of them, more, most of them, got really mad at the U.S. government, and they went down into Mexico, and most of them are still in Mexico, and that's where they live. And every year, well, they build they build wigwams down there, and they live in them. But they're a little fancier than they used to be. You know, they're a little bigger, but they're wigwams. And uh, they're uh, the dwellings of people that are rather nomadic often, and they just use whatever they can get their hands on to have some shade from the sun and and from the, and, uh, shield shield them from the wind. Go ahead,
0: Roger. It's like the guy that said, "I'm going to go live in a yurt and raise yaks."
3: I live in a what? A yurt. You oh, know a yurt. What?
0: Well, that's a kind of the um, oh uh, the Genghis Khan uh, method of dwelling, and it's a round dwelling oh. that they can break down, pack up, and move and reset up. And they're some of them are quite nice, actually.
3: No, I've seen pictures of them. Actually, I've seen them because I've seen them here in the States. Some people choose to live in them, heavy canvas. Yes, yeah, correct. But the idea of a wigwam and a a structure like you're talking about is to uh, not be so affected by strong winds. If it's round like a water towel, the wind won't blow it over as easy.
0: Well, you know, uh, my my dear deceased patriot friend, David Strait, unfortunately had the same name. He was a self-made millionaire, and that right there is what he made his millions on. Was the we call them roundhouses, but they're really octagon-shaped and uh, what david did was patented the cantilever on that structure and that was kind of his claim to fame where you build the bottom you put the 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 octagon house on top and you build it on another uh, level that's not completely the same size there's a there's a part outside that is under the top structure but is open okay it's called a cantilever uh anyway um David uh built a business on prefabbing those things. And he exported to 19 different countries around the world. He was the only builder of prefab homes that could get one imported into Germany because of their high uh, requirements of building quality and stuff. So he had reps all over the world that would rep his. They'd buy his house, build it, and then they'd sell others out of their house. It was kind of like a multi-level deal, you know. And uh, But the interesting thing was he, he sold them all over the world, okay, Okay. And two incidences, one in the Bahamas with a hurricane and the other above Denver out there where they've got a big FAA center on top of the mountains outside of Denver. And they had super high winds, 120 miles an hour winds, etc. and same with the hurricane. And the only structures left
3: standing were his houses
0: because the wind went
3: around them. Yeah, no, and grain bins are built with that idea too. That's why they're round. Water towers, grain bins. Today, they didn't used to as much, but they do now. A lot of the structures. Yeah, that's, and of course, the Navajos traditionally, I remember driving when I was younger, you'd drive through the Navajo reservation and you saw all sorts of those, uh, octagon. They were eight sided buildings that they lived in. Little, and they were made out of logs and, uh, Stucco. And well, you know the and
0: nice stuff. thing about those things, Brent? There's no wasted space. There's no corners.
3: That's right. Corners are wasted space as are hallways. Well, the teepee was of the same, of the same idea. The teepee was built. They, they built them because the high winds on the plains wouldn't blow them down as easily. And they were coarse. All a teepee is, is a chimney that you live in. It's mm-hmm. a chimney.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's designed You put the fire in the middle and the, of course, the, what do they call, the Navajos call their structures? I used to know it, and it's right on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember it, but those were also chimneys. Uh, all of those round buildings are well said to be chimneys because they uh, you put the fire in the middle, and it throws heat all around, but then mm-hmm. the smoke goes up.
1: Hold on, hold, on.
0: hold on, we've got some industrial noise. Joe, get your mute. Thank you. Ahead, Those
3: teepees are genius. I, I suppose just trial and error. But when the wind, that high winds hit them, the wind is diverted upward to the path of least resistance, which gets narrower as you go upward, mm-hmm. and they don't blow over that easy, hardly mm-hmm. at all, even in high winds. You see.
6: May I interrupt briefly here?
3: Yes, Warner. Warner. I, do Warner Warner.
6: I don't want to say some other things. Joe's bulldozing, I think, but he's trying to. He was saying Hogan's.
0: Hogan, Hogan. Hogan.
3: that's right Hogan, Hogan.
0: thank you Joe Go back to your bulldozing
3: Yeah, thank you Murr, I think it's Hogan by the way I've heard them say it Hogan, but Hogan We might say, thank you Yeah Were you going to say something Roger? No, no, no
0: I was just thinking about my deceased friend David Strait and and those buildings Were really cool Yeah, Murr, what do you got?
6: Yeah, I got a couple things if I can remember them here. I was trying to jot down a couple notes just now, but um, around here, there's round barns that were built by a, a free black man. Uh, the uh, you know formerly enslaved used to come up to Wisconsin in a town near here every year for their uh, church uh, campgrounds, you know. And uh, but this fellow's name was uh, Alfie. So I'll look up the name. But anyway, he was a black freedman, and there's still several of these brown barns around, you know, that were built according mm-hmm. to his design. And uh, and also, this is the Kickapoo <laughs> River Valley. Really? <laughs> I live up on a ridge above it, yes, and there's a Kickapoo reservation that's half-owned by the um, local tribe. Uh, and it's it just it, very nice, you know. But Kickapoo basically means first goes this way, then that way. So it's the most crooked river and it's very ancient. It's never been improved upon, you know. And it's very fun to canoe on too.
3: <laughs> are you are you saying there's a Kickapoo reservation in Wisconsin? Yes. Yes, and the Kickapoo scattered quite a bit. I didn't know there was one up there, but the Kickapoo well, scattered quite a bit. Yeah, go ahead.
6: Yeah. yeah, it's it's not actually an Indian reservation. It's it's more of a preservation area, and people can come in there and ride their horses and. All uh-huh. kinds of things. It's a real large area. It's very beautiful. I like to ride through it every chance I get. But, well those
3: round Go ahead, Murr. Go ahead.
6: Go ahead about the round. Go ahead.
3: Well the round barns, uh, the reason I I'll bet. Now I'm speculating, just putting uh, two and two together. There were there were two round barns in the world in the county where I live, just two. Of course there were hundreds of barns, and there were three styles of barns that the uh, Germanic people brought to America, the Germanic people and the Celts. There is the the English style barn, the British style barn, and and there is the uh, the Germanic style barn, and the Germanic style barn though came in two kinds, and these barns were built from about the from about the middle of the 18th century up through the the 1960s, and you don't see them anymore. Most all barn you see them in places where the Germanic people and the Celtic people settled, and that was, of course, the Midwest. And when I say Germanic, uh, that includes the the Anglo Saxons, of course, but and um, but the Anglo Saxons, the English, their barns were characterized more and are you still see a few of them around? We have them on our home place. We had two of them, and they were characterized by the steep the steep pitch of the roofs. the Germ- The German barns and the Dutch barns—I say Germanic—that means Dutch too, but mm-hmm. they were long, sweeping pitch to the roofs that started almost flat and then came up to the top. But the other kind of Germanic barn and the Dutch especially, but the Germans too, they built round barns and there were two round barns in our world. They were very prominent along the main road. And of course we'd see them. One of them is tore down now and the other one's still standing. And I can see when I drive by it, the family looks like they're trying to get it back up in shape again, because it is a bit of a novelty, but Here's what we were told when we were growing up, Murr. I haven't looked this up, but uh, I believe it. Because on the German, the Dutch and German barns was the hex. There are all sorts of designs of the hex. And you see that on barns in the Midwest. I see it all over the Midwest. And I see it all over places like Idaho and Nebraska where the Germanic people migrated. And when I say Germanic in this sense, more the Dutch and the German settlers They would put hexes on their barns. Those are six-pointed kinds, and they believed, and this is a a vestige of their ancient pre-Christian past, where demons were very real to them, and devils, they called them. And they believed the hex would keep the devils away from them. And that particular practice, it's a pagan practice of idolatry, though has persisted among the most staunch Dutch Reformed, Christian, Bible-believing people. These are the vestiges of our paganism. Uh, Remember when you read uh, Tom Sawyer, if you ever read it when you were a kid, Huck Finn's dad, he was the town drunk, remember, Huck Finn, and his dad uh, always, Huck was, Huck, uh, the Witter Douglas, the Witter Douglas took Huck in to try to clean him up and civilize him because he was nothing but an urchin around the village there of Hannibal. Or no, Florida is actually where it was. Hannibal, close by, Florida, Missouri, and took him in, cleaned him up, trying to teach him to read and write and all that. And and Huck's dad found out about it. He was town drunk and he lived down in the hogshead uh, along the wharf, and uh, he was always looking for money. And he snuck over to Huck's place, uh, where Huck was staying at the Winter Douglas's, and because uh, he'd heard he was there and he wanted to find out if he'd get any money from his boy. His boy was about 12, 14 years old, <laughs> old Huck. and Huck. Oh, the uh, Miss Douglas's nigger, Jim. And I don't hesitate to say that because I don't want to conform to politically correct speech. That's the way Sam Clemens use, that uses that word throughout that book. A uh, nigger, Jim, uh, Jim, was walking through the snow, and he was over at the house, and they saw foot tracks in the snow. And Nigger Jim says that those foot tracks are have a have a cross in them. Well, the cross was a was a, a, an attempt at a hex. He would put two nails in the heel of his of his boot, and then he would bend them over and cross them. And he believed, as people often did, that would keep the devils away. That's a vestige of our Holy past. smokes! Uh, they call the hex, but the Dutch people uh, made their hexes very beautiful and very colorful, and you can see them on the barns all over the Midwest where they those kind of people settled. And of course, Wisconsin, a lot of round barns. Mer said, "I've a lot of Germanic and German and Dutch people up there, and they used to milk cows as German people and Dutch people do, and still do, did, and still do." Well. They had these hexes on the barns, and then they had these round barns. And these are the things I heard, these two round barns in the community, these are the things I heard about those barns. Uh, One of the things was, we used to say, uh, the joke was, you know what happened to the dog that died in that round barn? And uh, no, what happened to the dog that died in the round barn? Well, he ran himself to death looking for a corner to take a leak in. (laughs) Uh, they didn't, well, here's what I, we were told as kids that they believed. And it's not that they did believe it then, but the practice of the round barn got started because they believed that that uh, demons hide in dark corners. So they built the barns round to, to try to eliminate some of the corners. That's, is that right? There's, oh,
6: there's another explanation here I'll give you, if you when you get ready to let me.
3: Yeah, go ahead, Mer. I'll take a breather.
6: Okay. Unique to the U.S., agricultural colleges at the time promoted round barns as easy to build, more efficient, and wind-resistant. The round barn silo and hay chute are in the center of the structure, allowing for easier feed distribution than the more traditional rectangular barn with the silo at one end. Oddly, many of the historic round barns of Vernon County were built by the same man, Alga or Al Ghee, Shivers, like S-C-H-I-V-E-R, so 1889 to 1978, Algy, the son of a slave who came to Wisconsin via the Underground Railroad, lived his entire life in Vernon County after studying carpentry at George R. Smith College in Sedalia, Missouri, and a tour in France during World War One, Algy returned to Vernon County. It was then that he began running his family's farm and constructing his neighbor's barns. 15 round barns in vernon county are attributed to he and his crew
0: wow you know there was a round one as y'all are talking about this i'm flashing back uh, out in the northwest side of atlanta outside the perimeter is a town named smyrna and smyrna had one of those old barns it must have been on an old plantation or something and it was converted into a restaurant uh, and I had to go out there a lot. The name of the restaurant, Brent, you'll like this, was Aunt Fanny's Cabin. Okay? <laughs> and it's a big tourist thing. And it kind of uh, uh, rode the coattails of the old south, you know. And you'd walk in. The reason I had to go out there is because I was in had all these English bands that I was working with. You know, oh. Thin Thin Lizzie and Graham Parker and all these English bands, and they knew each other because the the English label came over and bought us. Okay, and so they would. I'd take them out there to Aunt Fanny's cabin, and then they'd get back to England and tell all their buddies, you know, hey, when you're in Atlanta, go to Aunt Fanny's cabin. So everybody yeah. that came to town, I had to take them to Aunt Fanny's cabin. I was out there a lot, yeah. and they had a couple old Civil War cannons out fr- outside the front door and that kind of thing. But uh, the 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 little boy, very, I'm sure it's not there anymore. It's way too politically incorrect. You, you'd sit down, and they'd have a little. Uh, I don't know, 10, 12-year-old black guy, uh, young man. And they'd have one of those sandwich boards over their head, right, where they could slip the menu in a sandwich board over their head, and they'd come up to the Aunt Fanny's cabin says, welcome, folks. Howdy, how? what do you have? And they had four dishes, fried chicken, Smithfield ham, and something else. But yeah. uh, but I really remembered it was a round barn converted into a restaurant.
3: There was uh, I, I ate at a restaurant one time a, a ra- called the Red Barn it was a round barn in Champagne, and I think it's still there but I haven't been there here but I I did have the privilege but it is kind of novel, those round barns and uh, the explanation that Murr read uh, seems plausible to me and all the the, the um, all just the traditional uh, wives tale they call
0: I think Joe, Joe's got a comment. Oh, Joe's got a comment, and his background noise is so bad. Let's get it out. Joe?
2: Yeah. If you want to see a new, new constructed round barn, Pond Creek, Oklahoma, north of Pond Creek, Oklahoma, on US Highway 81, a gentleman built a brand new one. Uh, within the last 20 years, Uh-oh. it has a brick exterior mm-hmm. and he came up with he built that off of a design that he wrote all the dimensions and all the number brick and everything on a paper cup on and paper? he came up with just a few bricks left over and uh-huh. it is a masterpiece cool. a yep. masterpiece it's on highway 81 north of Edford or north of Palm Creek Oklahoma
0: yeah Paul can it. go go by and see that here pretty quick.
6: Yeah, they they fell out of favor, you know, when electric electricity came in. But it's a good design. There's a brick one over here by the in the county seat.
0: Well, I know what my father used to always say. He'd say, "Go to the roundhouse, Nellie. They can't corner you there."
6: <laughs> May I speak about a couple of uh, manipulative myths that we? And we've hit on him, uh, I think, before, but it, it goes without kind of saying most of the time. The second one I'm going to say. This first one, I just want to reiterate that uh, G. White and her husband, James, helped form that religion, and they were very devout in service to Jesus Christ. And she couldn't have been too much against sex because they had four sons. And, well, I,
3: did, uh, I just read her writings, and that's what I get out of it. and uh there's a lot of things, go ahead, Mur.
6: Well, there's a lot. She did a lot of writings, and, it, and a lot of it's very good. But, you know, a lot of it's, you know, some of it's wrong, too. But the first thing we came up with in, you know, 1939 when Orson Welles did that little trickery, right? Well, here, i got to tell you this about him. He would ride in an ambulance, have be driven in an ambulance with the sirens and lights going because he didn't want to wait in traffic. <laughs> so there's uh-huh. one of his manipulations. So um, when that occurred, that, that broadcast occurred, you know, oof. we could give credit to the people that were alive then. They would come around, and the, the people would come in their family homes, and that was the time that they would listen to orchestral music on another station. Um, so they all had gathered around and went there and had turned that on and then realized it was a replay. So they missed the disclaimer. And that's why he gave it so quickly at the beginning. Right. Okay. Um, so there's your manipulative myth for that.
0: Sure. Uh, so Paul, you
6: got to give credit to these people because you know they were they were duped just like we are today. Dibok yeah. is a dupe. It's a spell. It's a Hebrew word. Dibok. Written right to left. D Y B B U K. It's a demon on your back. You know. So that's where COVID came from.
4: Let,
0: Paul, let me but drag Paul forward here. I'm getting a lot of tinny tinny audio here, is that, do you have any kind of finger you can put on
2: that, is, Paul? No, not that, not that, uh, not that I can see.
0: Okay, well, it may be uh, on my, it may be on my end, you know. Yeah. So.
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't get it. All right. Everything sounds fine here, but I'll look into it.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: All righty, sorry for the interruption.
6: But do you see how that broadcast uh, the down. war of the worlds was a precursor to World War II, you know? Because that's when Hitler was uh, responding to what was being done to the German people. But the actual beginning of proclamation of war was March 24, 1933. Judea declares war that's on a, Germany and boycott right. all their goods.
3: That's right. So. That was the first shot. And that was the bait. That was the bait. And they... They drug them into a mess and drug, dark, and drug, dragged them into a mess. And,
1: oh, they, that they, manipulation, that they was a manipulation. Of, they, oh, Murr, Murr,
0: Mur, two people can't talk at once here. Let Brent yeah, finish that's, and that's, add your comment. That,
3: that was a, a clever manipulation of the of Judaism that helped destroy the world at that time. No yep. question. I get the point. Go ahead, Murr.
6: I know. I, I was talking over you. Sorry. Yeah. It just that the boycotting their goods all around the world. You know.
0: Well, it's not so. only that. They went to the extent that if an aver- if a company sold German goods, they would not let them advertise in the newspapers they owned.
6: Yeah, and also I don't know if you'd heard this, uh, Brent, but 150,000 Jews in uh, July 3rd, 1933, for the World's Fair in Chicago had romance of a people. And they had a big Moloch statue and they hopefully it was an effigy of a child they put in there to burn it and then ran around screaming like banshees. This is another part of casting the spell, okay, to bring on this blood that they wanted, this mass blood sacrifice to Satan, which also occurred just recently on the solstice. They do this regularly, not just Jews, but all the Satanists. So, Well,
3: uh, denial, denial of the words of the bible will take you further than you want to go and it will keep you much longer than you want to stay <laughs> it's like the roach hotel and that's what all false religions do roger you were talking about all false religions are from babylon from the founding of the city of babylon when the when the explorers got uh, the The conquistadors got to certain places, especially even in Mexico, what is now Mexico City. They found the Indians there practicing the rosary. Well, why did they find the Indians practicing the rosary? Because all false religions spread out through all the world, all the continents, from the scattering that God effected at the founding of the city of Babylon. And what was organized there under Nimrod and the Bible says later, all false religions, uh, Babylon is the mother of all whorish practices. And idolatry with an I as in indigo and idolatry with an A as in alpha, the two words in the Hebrew text are inter- interchangeable. Idolatry is adultery against God and adultery against God is idolatry. Hmm. Is comporting, convorting with images. Of lawgivers, final deciders of right and wrong that you take to be a final decider from of right and wrong, from whose decision there is no appeal, and that's what idolatry is. I cringed not recently in the in the little area where I grew up. It wasn't a town, but it was a place around Kickapoo. <laughs> Kickapoo was on the south, White Oak was on the north, and Needmore was on the on the um, east, and Moonshine was west and south, kind of in the middle there. And there's a fella there that married a girl there who's now passed away. She was my age. And he was a Romanist from a German community uh, far away. And he has a statue of Mary uh, in his front yard. That is the kind of pollution that destroys societies. Mm-hmm. It makes me cringe when I go by. And I know the guy is a nice guy, but that doesn't mean that People aren't dangerous just because they're nice. I was sitting in the gallery of the United States House of Representatives back in 1994, and it was at midnight, and uh, they were still in session, and there was only me there and two other people. One of them was an old guy sitting behind me, and we were watching the proceedings. And uh, this old guy, I was younger then, he leaned over and said, you know what? He didn't know me, but he said, you know what? Every one of those people you see down there is a nice person. He didn't say anything more than that. And I thought to myself a little bit. And I said, Yeah, in order to get elected to office, you've got to be a nice person. That doesn't mean that all those nice people down there, all those congenial people down there, are not as dangerous as demons. Some of them are. A bunch of them are demons. Yeah, I had a fellow tell me at uh, way back a long time ago, well, it was at that, about that time uh, when I was involved in uh, political madness in another life, and uh, I met a fella in Washington, D.C. that said that he had the occasion years ago to sit down and share a bottle of wine and a, a sumptuous meal with Saddam Hussein. I said, yeah. I said, what do you think? He said, one of the nicest fellows I ever met. He said he was a conversationalist uh, that couldn't. It, no one could hold a candle to. He said he could talk about everything. He was polite. He was fun to be around. And uh, I know he did a lot of good things, and I'm not for him being destroyed necessarily. I think that was evil on our part. Yep. But he was Islamic, and he was a brutal man. And he killed those that got in his way. That's really true, but that was none of our business. But the point I'm making is... A lot of nice people are demons and dangerous. That may be even you, if you got in the right situation, got enough power in your hands. We're all that way. That's why I, I think I mentioned this last time. Uh, um, we mentioned American exceptionalism. What is this thing we call American exceptionalism? Well, it is that we are different than all other people in the world fundamentally, and it comes down to our religious point of view. All government all government, rely, uh, arises out of one's religious point of view. And a critical mass of a particular religious point of view, uh, from that arises our government and our understanding of government here in America. And that religious point of view is exceptional in America because our forebearers said that men are fundamentally evil, not fundamentally good. Therefore, we're going to continue with this common law government. We're going to have separation of powers, co-equal branches of government. We're going to pit, pit men in government again one another in constant adversity and if we keep men in government in constant adversity against one another maybe they'll leave us alone and we'll have freedom that's what separation of powers is all about co-equal branches of government and they, they continued with our common law government which was already in place but they put a, a, a national government in place a general government in place that was a common law government that accepted and well no more than accepted uh, believed and saw the importance of understanding that men are not fundamentally good and no place in the Bible does it say that but every place in the Bible it expressly says the opposite and if you're not willing to admit that and first you admit it if you can't see it of course you can't see it I'll tell you one thing for sure Roger as I get older it becomes more and more and more obvious to me Not only have I accepted it, but now I see the danger of it. You know, it is forever, Roger, it is forever irritating to a Christian man, if he's right-headed and a woman, to watch, listen to, and watch what goes on in the news and watch them say how good man is for two or three minutes and they have 30 minutes of his evil. Then say, but man is fundamentally good. In some way, they'll say it. And they'll point... They'll, they'll push that point of view, and then they'll have thirty minutes of all the evil that men is doing all man is doing all over the world. Man is fundamentally evil; you put power in his hands; he won't be able to handle it. That's why there's separation of powers. Our exceptionalism as Americans has always been that we understood those reformed doctrines that say that man is fundamentally flawed at his core, tainted at his conception. And it's going to grow as he gets older. And the only remedy against it that will stem it and stop that tide of madness is the great gospel of God, which includes a whole lot. But that's what does it. And the indwelling of the person of God himself, the spirit of God, the gumption breath of God in the body of a man is the only restraining force. There is no other restraining force. If the God of all creation, which stands objectively to mankind, if he does not limit the governments of men, there is no limit to the governments of men. Governments become total. We see it all over the world. But
0: we're seeing a bunch of it today in this month of June,
3: as a matter of fact. Yes, and we're mm-hmm. talking about our Puritan forebears. If there's anything that they pushed in their understanding, and the others, the the reformed reformed groups that came to america the germanic group the dutch reformed people and the the um, the scots and the scots irish presbyterians it is the utter depravity of the human part the heart of man says jeremiah the heart that means the yearnings the core yearnings of a man is exceedingly wicked who can know it yep that's the statement of god through the prophet now that theme plays out, of course, throughout the whole Bible, going both ways from Jeremiah. Back to you, Roger. I'm going to well, stop talking. A few well, okay.
0: Left. Well, let's see if there's anybody else got any comments or questions they'd like to get addressed. Now's a good time. Brent, Brent wants to take a little breaky poo. Any y'all if out there? Well, if I can just
6: jump in here well, real right. quick with a bit about the kickaboo? right? Okay. Uh, someone worry. in the chat room had about the uh, kickaboo joy juice, and Al Cap was a Jew. <laughs> right. Who <laughs> designed this, right? And, uh, but apparently it's still in, you know, uh, the Kickapoo, uh, protested, of course. So anyway, I was just, did it,
0: did their protest, did their protest land with anybody? Was that so long ago? These days, all they'd have to do is say it and they'd whisk it away. Did it have any effect back well, then?
6: Well, it was like the seventy-seven, and they, uh, you know, they don't care. I think they're still, you know, it's a soft drink apparently, but you know, they were basically trying to say they were drunk, you know.
0: Yeah. Now, there's somebody else who's trying to hey, yeah, say something at the same time. And Paul's going to come yes, in. Yes. Yeah,
2: Paul. Okay, we'll get you in a second. Go ahead, Paul. Well, I just want to remind, uh and I know he hates talking talking about himself, but I want to remind Brent that we're coming to, up to the end of the show, and I want him to have... Time to talk about what he's doing. and uh, Because he was talking about CommonLawyer.com and uh, the things that he's doing, and he got interrupted very early in the show. I want to make sure we revisit that before we run out of time.
0: Okay, man. Jesse, we'll get to you. Yeah, we'll get to you, Jesse, after Brent uh, tells us about him.
3: Yeah, Jesse, let me say it quick. Uh, Go to CommonLawyer.com commonlawyer.com and you can find their links that you can click on you can listen on your iPhone or your computer listen to us on Saturdays and it tells you what times and on Sundays and most now I think of what we're doing we're on a radio station back east in Maryland uh, 5 days a week a couple hours a day and and there and but you can click on those links and of course Roger's show here you, and on Sundays you can Come and join us for church. We're going through the book of Exodus right now, but you can click on those links and you can you can listen, and uh, you can also go to Rumble. I think if you just type in, it's either Brent Winters or Brent Allen Winters, A L L A N Rumble. Just Rumble Brent Allen Winters, and all the stuff. that There's probably hundreds of recordings there that you can that'll come up and talking about the kind of things we're talking about today, but. On Saturdays and Sundays, I am a little more focused on progression, and I follow the text of the Bible, the particular writings of the Bible, Romans. We're in Romans 8 and 9 on Saturdays, and we're in Romans, or um, Exodus chapter 2, and we're moving forward in those books to try to get the sweep and the flow of them as we go, paying particular attention. To the Hebrew text of the Old Testament and the Greek text of the New Testament, you can also get the winterized version of the Bible. A common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues—the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek—over uh, thirty-five thousand footnotes uh, explaining why I translate the way I do. I call it toward a raw translation of the Bible, and one hundred and sixty over one hundred and sixty appendices tracing major themes through the warp and the woof of the text of the context of that book we call the Bible. Then also books you can obtain there. uh, Excellence of the common law, comparing and contrasting the law of the land with the law of the city or common law with the civil law on every continent and in every age, starting with the founding of the city of Babylon right on through to the United States. 958 pages. Then books on uh, the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of 76, commentaries. We've written some of those by yours truly. And then books on the Fourth Amendment uh, or the Fifth Amendment right to remain silent, the four militia clauses, a book called Militia of the Several States, our Constitution's answer to its enemies, foreign and domestic. And then a book on the jury and what the jury is, where it came from and why it's important, the right to remain silent I'd mentioned, and other books and resources, a lot of free recorded resources. I think there are 200 MP3 clips on the media page of that website. And then join us for our class on Magna Carta. We're, we're going through Magna Carta clause by clause and blow by blow. Sheriff Darleaf of Barry County, Michigan, along with me, uh, certain days of the week, you can access that class and join us. Uh, we're in uh, we're 30, uh, presentation 25, I believe, is coming up. Unknown number of presentations, but we are about halfway through Magna Carta at this point. And then we want to continue... Uh, with the legal history of the United States from Magna Carta, uh, continue moving forward. Well, that's the idea. Brent Allen Winters, uh, that's commonlawyer.com, dot com. dot dot com. And Roger then joins Thumper. May so right when,
0: when Thumper shows up.
3: When Thumper shows up, right after, <laughs> right after, uh, in church, I N N church on. Sundays. Now, Jess, Jesse
0: Before you get to Jesse, I want to ask Brent a question. Excuse me, Jesse Is Sheriff Darren in a rural, rural county up there in Michigan?
3: Yeah, Barry County, Michigan is a rural county. That means it's not a city-fied county. There, are, of course a county seat there, but it's a small county by comparison mm-hmm. He's been there, I'm Sheriff pretty near 20 years there, I think Wow. Yeah. I'll bet they love him Oh they do they do I think he could get elected again if he wanted to. Is he thinking about retiring? He is and I imagine his wife has some say about that but he's a he's a balanced he's balanced in his attitude towards the law and toward his job. He understands clearly we taught a class you can access this one too a, a sheriff Dar and I a class on the sheriff at common law right. Boy, we both learned a lot. He, of course, knows a lot after 20 years, but he, we learned a lot about the office of sheriff, and and um, you can access that at commonlawyer.com.
0: Cool. Jesse, how you doing this morning?
5: Pretty good. I just want to mention three points, um, small points. One is the gospel. When you preach about the gospel, you you got to be very responsible. In Galatians, they said whoever preached a different gospel, even the... Even the angel of heaven will be a curse. And there's so many people there don't even know they're being cursed yep. in this lifetime or after this lifetime. The second is uh about the barn. And uh in the biblical times, the barn or even the Celts were uh built in what we call stilts today or something similar to it, and most of the animals were kept in the bottom, especially in the winter. And that would keep them uh, living in the living quarters at the top, right? And they would keep the most valuable animals in the bottom, also for protection. Somebody was gonna raid; they were able to protect them some from the uh, the above. And the third point is the tents. Uh, we see these movies all this about uh, sitting on the floor with the pillows, and t- they needed to be mobile because they were always grazing. So have yes. to protect the the family or the tents but the tribe? They would get those uh, coats from the goats and build those tents and they were very mobile and they were able to build that like Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, their, their trade was building or, or installing the tents back and forth. They had to be always moving. And that's why they couldn't have furniture in there. They had to have something light and weight so they could keep on carrying. Mm-hmm. So most of the things that we have perception today's life is just completely wrong. We, we learn everything through television and we changed their are but they had their infrastructure ready they knew how to survive
3: well, you, Jesse, Jesse you, what state are you calling from? Bay of Florida well thanks, appreciate those comments you know Jesse's
0: very interesting he's been listening for a long time he just started coming in and joining us on a regular basis and we had a nice conversation the other day and his herediment, Brent,
3: is Basque Oh well, I do business with folk like you, um, uh, cattle and sheep. Uh, yeah, I know the Basque, and I've learned a lot about them, and I know that their tongue is not related to anything in Europe. Oddly, and yep. it's a mystery. Uh, yeah, that, that's all fascinates me. Well, thanks for calling in. You Jesse. know what? Any you people? know
0: what else is unusual about them, Brent? They have the highest percentage per capita of negative blood of anybody in the world.
3: I'll be. Yeah well they're good uh, they're good at herding animals sheep and cattle and that's the ones I know and do business with uh, that's what they do yeah Jesse you got anything in the
5: mountains to... in the Basque Country you still see you still see the Celts or whoever they were there at that time you still see them uh, especially in the inner part of the mountains like 500 years ago you'll see them still living that way mm. with the animals in the bottom and the Mm-hmm. And uh, and are living for forest top, and that keeps them very warm in winter.
0: Right, and the animals help uh, increase their warmth.
3: Yeah. Now, uh, Jesse, um, are you Do you uh, profess a particular religious point of view?
5: Yes, I'm a, a Christian, as but I just call myself as uh, Acts eleven twenty six. Yes, a Christian. I don't believe in denomination, all that. Uh-huh. But I, I really love your explanation about when you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, yes, when you accept or convert and baptize and repent, as I said, Acts it means you receive the Holy Spirit. It's like a mark. It, it dwells uh-huh. in you. So I love the explanation, Gabe.
3: Uh-huh. And baptism, I'll just add one thing here quickly. Baptism and repentance do not trigger the new birth. The new birth triggers baptism, the desire to be baptized right. and to repent. Right, that's the grand difference between Babylonianism and the true religion. Uh, thank you, Jesse, for your comments.
5: We got some pretty sharp right. folks. When you believe is a continuation, when you believe is a continuation of that belief, instantly that you wanna repent and confess that Lord Jesus Christ, and you baptize, submerged with the Catholic. Yes, you put a little water
3: when you're against a baby. Uh, now, Roger, did you understand the last part of what Jesse said? Because I couldn't catch it. So yes, yeah. garble. Well, he said that
0: it, total immersion versus the Catholicism approach of putting holy
3: water on a baby's forehead. Oh, well, yes. Now, here's what I'm, I'm I'm thinking about doing. I'm glad you brought that up. I had a fellow email me, a friend email me that listens on Sundays and Saturdays, and Saturdays, and he said I'm in. And uh, Peter, the book of uh, the Epistle that Pete, uh, Peter wrote, and he was talking about water and baptism. And he said, All these years, he said, Can you make comments on baptism? So I've made a point of writing up an appendix to the, uh, the Good Book Uncooked, translation of the Bible, about baptism and the three fundamental views. And there are three fundamental views that have come out of Christ- Christianity one is the Romanist view, one is the Reformed view. Those are both baby baptisms, but those are, but there are different points of view. They're, they're, they're understood differently. And then there is the immersion. Of course, the pouring goes with the sprinkling. That's all. And then the immersion. And what does baptism mean? And they, they baptize babies. Uh, a lot of people in America don't. And I want to talk about that. He asked me to talk about it, so I'm going to try to do that. I don't know if I'm going to do it this weekend, but I may do it next weekend. But I'm working through it. And then the Lutheran. The Lutheran point of view is there also. Um, oh, so, uh, that's an important subject. When I was on the radio back in Terre Haute, Indiana, on uh, I had the drive time show in the morning. A lot of people listen. You, you want people to really get fired up, start talking about baptism. Boy, they draw their daggers real quick. <laughs> Babies, murk, dunking, immersion, Church Christ, baptism. yeah, all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know, it's, if it's such a hot issue. It had that's always a been a hot. Thing. Thing. Hold on, cherry. Very hot question, and that is why God. the King James translators did not translate that word in the New Testament. Really? The word baptism is an attempt to use English letters to uh, imitate the sound of the Greek word in the New Testament. That doesn't tell you what it means. That's just punting. They could have translated it, but they didn't because they knew it would... Create controversy, and the purpose—one of the purpose, great purposes—of the King James translation was to bring unity to the nation. And they didn't want to put anything in there that would make For, people further divide. So, when you come to a word that you know would cause contention, cause contention, don't translate it; just transliterate it; just repeat the sound of the Greek word, and just go on.
4: Right. say.
3: So go ahead.
0: A demur. Uh, it's sit. a demur. Sherry, you got something to say?
4: question is, why do we believe men?
3: They lie. Uh, I didn't. And it.
4: the scriptures say that.
3: Say say say
0: something men lie.
1: Why do we Correct. believe
3: men? They
0: lie. Well, that's what we've been yeah. talking about. Man's heart is dark. No man shall know yeah. it. Yeah.
3: Men are fundamentally liars. That's right. Fundamentally, they can tell the truth.
4: Correct.
3: But we're struggling. We struggle, and so, and you, if you're, um, if you, the spirit of God doesn't live in you. You have nothing to control that at all. You know, the problem. You, then you have an opportunity to tell the truth. There's, the, there's a, you're empowered.
0: The problem <laughs> with lying is you've always got to consciously remember the lies to tell more lies to keep the
3: original lie
1: hidden.
3: Yeah, And in America, the, it was against the law for somebody to get on the witness stand who was not a, does not profess Christ. That was true for decades, and the reason for that was they said, "Well, if a guy doesn't profess Christ, what's the chances of him of the Holy Spirit living inside him? Right, yeah, living inside of him, and what's to keep him from lying?" That was the idea. See?
0: What's the use of giving him an oath?
3: Yeah, what's the use? It doesn't do any good. You take an oath by God. You call God in to witness your promise to tell the truth, and uh, ask Him to wreak His vengeance on you if you don't do it. That wouldn't mean anything to to a fellow that's not professing Christ because Jesus Christ is the true lawgiver. All authority in the Godhead is given to him, and he's a member of the Godhead. Well... Thank you very much. Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your comments. Appreciate well,
0: thanks for being with us, Brent. We always appreciate your time. You're kind of a guy in demand. So uh, and I think we all get something off of your appearance with us on a regular basis. And I would also like to promote if you don't have a church home, uh, you might drop into Brent's in church service. They're extremely good. Okay. Just down home kind of message given you know so uh, we appreciate you brent around here uh we'll be back uh, on our saturday show tomorrow and uh be back uh, usually on more of the stuff we discuss and we take one day off a week on that to allow brent to come in here and enlighten us on this really important stuff So, uh, thank you for being with us and hope you got something out of today. Good discussion. And again, Brent, we really appreciate you stopping what you're doing and coming and join us. And I know you enjoy it too. So thank you. Yep. And, uh, otherwise than that, we'll see what goes on in the next 22 hours in this man. The world's gone nuts, Brent. I'm sure you don't pay as much attention, but, uh, it's sure going in a nutty direction. Um, Don't don't worry. The immovable force and the irresistible irresistible force and the immovable object are very close to uh, meeting, it seems. We'll see. Take it one day at a time. And we will see you tomorrow. Ciao. We're going to lay our bodies down. Bye.